Hello and welcome to the Groove Sofa podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. On today's episode, Alice talks about the sudden death of her mum, Kathy. She talks about her surprise in finding out not everyone has police present at the time of death and also that not everyone has a post-mortem. We discuss one of our favourite books, Griefworks, and we share our love for Julius Samuels. So this episode is dedicated to my mum, Cathy Williams, who died seven years ago in November of 2013. Um, my dad has also passed away, but I'm going to keep the two parents separate and they can get an episode each. <laughs> So my memories of of what happened to my mum are actually really rusty. Um, I think part of that was shock. Part of that is that I just don't visit what happened very often. And yeah, I think grief can do funny things to your brain. So one night I just went to bed like any other night as normal. Uh, I just moved out of my family home and was living with a friend I hadn't set up my bedroom, so I was staying in Emily's room with her. The night before had been like any other normal night, and I'd been texting my mum. She was planning on helping me move. I think it was a dining room table. I I can't remember. Something Mm. she was going to use the big car to to move some stuff into my new house. Um, And, yeah, me and Emily had just been watching Harry Potter, and it was just a sort of normal boring day I guess (laughs) so that night me and Emily went to bed and as I said I was staying in her room with her and I woke up to a call in the middle of the night around you know two three three a.m I I can't really remember the details of it but woke up to a call turned over and saw that I had a missed call from my dad and I thought, oh, you know, what's that mm-hmm. doing, doing, ringing me in the in the middle of the night? Didn't really think anything of it. So just sort of rolled back over and started going back off to sleep. And then within a few minutes later, he, he started ringing me again. And I picked up my phone and sort of just said, hello, <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> What, do you want? what are you doing <laughs> calling me at three in the morning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I know I've just moved out, but seriously, you don't need to <laughs> check on me all the time. Oh. And he just said, oh, Alice, I don't know how to say this, but mum's dead. And oh, wow. it was just really surreal. Um, yeah, I can imagine really really surreal and I'm trying to recall sort of the timings of everything but I'm pretty sure the night before I was still texting her at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night Um, and then so to sort of go from that to a few hours later being dead is for me still really hard to get my head wrapped around (laughs) yeah such a huge contrast isn't it Mm. so so what had happened is um my dad had my dad had got into bed and mum joined him a few hours later and she'd sort of gone into the bedroom you know got undressed 
put on her pyjamas, um, folded her clothes up neatly on the floor and, yeah, got into bed with my dad. And from what dad said, she made a bit of a, a funny noise um, and he sort of asked, you know, Kathy, Kathy, you OK? And she didn't say anything. And he said, Kathy, you know, giving her like a little gentle shake, Kathy. And essentially, she just completely stopped responding. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dad, you know, called 999 and they basically told him to go and open the front door. So he ran downstairs, opened the front door and started performing CPR. Oh, bless him. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he tells me or told me that the ambulance was sort of there within minutes, literally minutes. Yeah. Um, because when when there's a when something like that happens, you know, when you're getting called to a sudden death, um, mm. That's like I don't know what it's actually called, but it's it's basically red alert and all systems go and yeah, that's the that's the um yeah of course. Priority. And at that they are hoping that they're going to be able to revive this person, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's not like a call out to somebody who's already dead and has been dead for a while. It's somebody who has only just died and has you know that potential, potential to come back, which is why they had your dad doing that CPR. Yeah, exactly. And well, what actually happened is the the ambulance got there um, first, and then the police get called out as well when it's something that yeah. like this happens. They did whatever it is that they do. <laughs> And basically, she was pronounced dead, like there, in the family home on the bedroom. Well, I think they moved her onto the bedroom floor. Maybe she was in the bed. I don't know. But yeah, she was just pronounced dead. Um, wow. there, there and then. Was there anybody else in the house with them? You know, I know you've got siblings. Was anybody else there, or was it? I know you've my... just moved out. So my two brothers were in the house. Okay. Um, and I don't really recall you know I mean I guess they sort of heard stuff going on downstairs um Harry got in touch with a, a family friend almost instantly um who then subsequently got in touch with me and she was in the car with her dad and they were driving around through no one knew where I was because I oh, just moved you. house and she was sort of like where are you where are you like we're coming to get you now and it might sound really strange but you know within a few minutes of sort of finding out this news I, I wasn't even crying or anything I was just sort of half awake half asleep thinking. Well, I was gonna say like you're only just like it probably feels like you're in a dream state it sounds yeah. like I mean it sounds like a nightmare Alice like it, it really sounds like you were woken up like really abruptly from yeah a nightmare yeah it, and it, so your brain is probably thinking that you're you know probably, it was you know, you're still utterly, asleep and utterly bizarre and like you say you know your brain's trying to comprehend when you get given information like that so quickly I think it's actually impossible for your brain to digest that information and actually yeah. take it for for what it is um see so yeah, I, I kind of got collected um and driven to my parents house which you know all happened very quickly I mean within yeah. I, I don't know how far minutes. away were you living were you like nearby uh, or 
yeah, about five minutes in the car, really okay. quick. And I just yeah. remember sitting in the car um, and just sitting there and thinking, what is going on? You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's really strange as well, because when things happen in the middle of the night, it's so disorientating anyway. So even if it's like going on holiday and you've got I was a 6 a.m. Say, flight, yeah, you know, you still... the do you know what I mean? You still feel it still it feels like a completely different yeah. experience to going on an afternoon flight and travelling in the day to go there. <laughs> that's I know so that's funny. Comparison, but like I can't you know, the way that I'm trying to imagine <laughs> how it must feel in that terms of like how disorientating it is, is that like nothing like you've had this shocking news you're 17 like you are so young yeah and of course you didn't ever expect to get that phone call I mean, absolutely yeah I mean it is that sort of yeah bleary-eyed walk to the, to the airport right. um um we got to the house and there was just police and ambulance scattered around the road all with blue flashing lights on right. and it's something that really really um triggers me now mm. is seeing blue flashing lights or hearing ambulance and police sirens it just you know I get physical it's pain in my back. chest and well not so much thrown back I sort of think to myself shit where the hell are they going you know something bad has happened to somebody and yeah. it, it, I just find it really upsetting and and really sort of um difficult I guess um maybe it's that resonating pain like I know that when I hear people being diagnosed with mm-hmm. cancer like and that first I know especially when people call on me because they've just had a diagnosis or somebody that they love has just had a diagnosis because because I've gone through it with dad it's like you know that feeling and you know exactly how those first 24 hours feel I suppose I feel a bit like that now with grief and a lot Mm. of people Mm. when they first experience grief because we now know we're like gosh yeah we know how difficult this is going to be and you do feel you feel more raw and you feel more exposed to that pain because you know what it feels like yeah I think um sort of being empathetic certainly comes into it Mm. um and so, yeah, sort of seeing stuff like that and hearing stuff like that is uh, naturally quite upsetting because you just know how crap it is with the other person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I sort of walked up, walked up the path to my house. Um, I, I can't remember who opened the door. Yeah, I, I really can't remember much of this at all. Um, walked into the house. I was greeted by somebody. You know, I walked through to the kitchen and there was just sort of police and and ambulance people just all around the house I mean I think there was at least four police officers and maybe the same for ambulance I I don't know I can't remember and I sort of walked through to my kitchen and there these two police officers sat in my kitchen and I just went and got myself a drink and obviously it's just a really awful situation to be in like for them for me yeah no one knows what to say um and at that point I suppose because there's no like nobody knows why your mum being the age that she is just died so suddenly at that point it's like it's it feels weird for me to think of you having police in the home when you're when the person dies because 
obviously with with my dad like we knew that he was going to die so there was no suspicion around it but how did that make you feel like having I don't know and it, uh, actually interestingly enough it's something that I had only thought about um recently is that not everyone has police in their house when somebody mm. dies and the other thing um listening to you talking about your dad in your episode was that not everybody has a post-mortem yeah <laughs> and my mum did and I guess it was literally only last week when we were recording that I thought oh like does not everyone have that done yeah of course because both of my parents died suddenly and unexpectedly and had to have post-mortems and you know that is it's distressing to be honest and it's it's one of the memories I have after mum dying a couple weeks later was my dad sort of breaking down in tears and telling me that they were having to remove my mum's heart for further testing and it's really sort of traumatizing and really difficult thinking about that and yeah of course I don't know I guess I just thought it it happened to everyone Mm. but but why would it you know they're not just going to go slicing up people for no reason sorry to put it like that but that's that's really how it feels I mean that's what it is I think that there is a misconception as well because I think like when we see death on tv or in films like Mm. usually there is a post-mortem usually there is um you know they take them away to go somewhere and either they're organ donors so they take out whatever organs they're using or they go to research or they do like or you know they have to have a post-mortem because the death Mm. has been suspicious there's like because there's no because there's very little coverage of what happens after somebody dies Mm. you know we see Mm. people die but we don't actually know because films don't go into the nitty-gritty after bits yeah so of course until you're thrown into it yourself and you experience it you like have no idea it's such a weird like it's a completely alien concept and especially when you're that young like I mean, yeah, so I actually still have all my grandparents alive. Um, so death was, death and grief was something that I had, well, I mean, I'd lost a dog and a hamster, but. <laughs> <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> it's not, it's not quite the same. Um, so, yeah, so see, with the police um, being there, I'd now by this point sort of gone upstairs to my family sitting room. Um, I think by this point my sister was also there. Um, she was also living, you know, five minutes away. Um, this family that had picked me up were there. And essentially the police officers sort of said, uh, do you want to go and say goodbye to your mum? And I just thought, oh, God. <laughs> you know, it was really just this question that had just come out of nowhere. And I thought this is bizarre and this is real yeah and so my sister sort of looked up at me and oh so yeah she was there (laughs) My (laughs) my sister looked up at me and she said come on you know I'll come in with you I'll I'll hold your hand and we walked into my mum and dad's bedroom and she was yeah just lying on on the bedroom floor um it's not really an image that I can actually remember that well I don't really remember what I said to my mum I don't Mm. I don't really remember any of it I just sort of went in 
I think I held her hand or there was certainly some form of contact with her body because I remember it being really cold and essentially she just looked like she was sleeping because she hadn't been dead that long um, and she just looked peaceful I guess is if is that the right word I I don't know I think it is it's and it's interesting because if you've never seen a dead body before it's really hard to describe the level of absence Mm. it's so surreal like although you know you're we're talking about your mum dying seven years ago Mm. and my dad died eight months ago and Mm. I think even now I don't have a really clear image of him like when he was dead because it didn't look like him like he just Mm. wasn't there and it's like when I talk about when I talk about after he died and I'm like yeah we so we sat with dad's body and I'm not Mm. saying we sat with dad because it wasn't dad it was like Mm. we were in this room with this shell of a person because that's what it was it was just like a vessel that he lived in yeah and it was so apparent that he wasn't there and it's mm. so and so it's interesting to hear you say like I don't really remember like I think I think it's hard to forget the feeling of somebody going cold because mm. that's quite a significant like you don't touch things that it's like touching a mannequin it's yeah like it just doesn't feel like real skin anymore because it's I, cold I think um yeah I can definitely I mean I'll talk about my dad in another episode but um I actually struggled with the image of my dad's dead body quite a lot and it yeah. so it's quite different whether that will stay with me or not um but I, I certainly remember the coldness of my dad as well it's just really haunting it's just you know just horrible to be honest like there's there's no other way of putting it yeah strange because that level of so when my dad died he had like a slight smirk on his face did he and it was really weird because I was like Mm. is he smiling (laughs) like how strange for him to be smiling and actually I've spoken to a couple of people who said the same thing Mm. um because they just look peaceful like I think that's just they just look yeah but it must be it must be different for you because you know you weren't expect she wasn't sick you know she wasn't Mm. expected to die and so there Mm. wasn't like any kind of deterioration in her health because it's no, none at all so immediate <laughs> nothing like absolutely nothing happened at all and like funnily enough I remember she had a um an appointment to get her nails done <laughs> that day and either me or my sister were like oh we must remember to call them and say that she's not coming in and it's your <laughs> your brain sort of goes into this yeah. I mean you know if she didn't turn up <laughs> I mean I know that the seller would sort of lose out of money but I'm sure they'd understand that the family of this dead person hadn't let them know it's just yeah I think they definitely understand (laughs) you you go into this weird sort of autopilot zone of right this needs to be done that needs to be done Mm. and actually it's just sort of like absolutely craving some um it's like adrenaline normality yeah how long did it take then for you to have the results back and and what were those weeks like not really knowing you know what had happened it was like I should imagine it would be just like living in a completely surreal world 
honestly like, I've just got absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever like I really don't it, it's mm. and even for probably two years after my mum died my memories are so hazy I just you know I cannot tell you what I did I cannot tell you who I was seeing yeah. I cannot tell you how I felt I, I really can't think about any of those uh, not that I can't think about them I don't have memories of them mm. I really don't and you know a lot of people that I listen to on podcasts they can remember these things so clearly and so well and it, I just it's just absolutely gone from my memory mm. um I don't think that you're alone though I think that like I definitely don't have many memories from the last eight months that are significant enough for me to remember mm. what I've been doing mm. and I certainly those few weeks after dad died you know when you're planning funerals and stuff like that I I remember bits of it but I really have to think about like I really have to think about it to be able to remember it it's like mm. it's in a different part of my memory that I can't just like visit on yeah a, on a kind of fleeting basis I have to really sit down and think about that you know those weeks and who was there and what was going on and mm. one, it's, it's, one it's thing I do thing. remember um really well and was really significant and a really 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 painful memory was sort of all all of us being sat in the um family sitting room um you know my mum's dead body was just on the other wall and you you all sort of sat there in silence um the funeral home I think it is come and take the body away and essentially all you could sort of hear was you know these floorboards creaking and not really much going on and then um police officer sort of walked into the living room and um dad was sat opposite me on a beanbag in um, the bay window and they just walked up to him and handed over oh, it makes me cry every time <laughs> handed over my mum's wedding rings and it's just so hard <laughs> thinking about it is just so so painful <laughs> and it's about the only thing I could remember and then everyone just left like the police the ambulance and my mum's body <laughs> that's that's so it's so surreal to think of a house that's so full of people as well you know you've been plucked out of your bed in a completely different house <laughs> there's no you've holiday driven, at the end of it <laughs> you know, you've been driven across town to come to your parents house where you're welcomed into the house by strangers by police, by ambulance, mm -hmm. by this kind of chaos that has just been launched onto your family. And the moment when everybody leaves must have been such a poignant moment. It was just bizarre because we were just sat there and we just thought, right, well, what, what the fuck are we meant to do now? Yeah, it's the middle of the night still. Like. <laughs> I, do you know what? I think actually by the time, by the time her body had been taken, I think... It was sort of, oh, I, I just can't remember. I, I feel like by then it was sort of like eight o'clock in the morning. And I think I might have even left the house in between her body um, 
being taken because we basically we lived on a road when we were all very close growing up and at some stage in that day I was sat at my neighbor's house having coffee um and I, I feel like that was really early in the morning like seven in the morning I I, I don't know it's so it's yeah. just an absolute blur and I've really suffered like years and years of memory loss because of this and it's what is what I call grief brain you know mm. you go into autopilot and you just bloody forget everything <laughs> yeah absolutely I think that's why lots of people pick up journaling when they're grieving because it can be impossible to recount days um, even years and years down the line because they just turn really hazy even you know on an anniversary years down mm. the line yeah interestingly enough I have done sort of bits of writing um, and reading back looking at them I think who the hell wrote this like mm. I don't remember this and it, it's it's really bizarre it's almost like you're looking at yourself from a third party perspective and it's just yeah it's really hard to comprehend yeah it's funny when I think about I read a eulogy at my dad's funeral and I read it the other day for the first time since mm. the funeral and I was like god did I write that mm. <laughs> I can't believe that the two weeks after he died I managed to write I was the mm. only one out of me and my siblings who read and I was like, how did I write that down and read it out? And like, mm. it just it just doesn't even sound like it, it's so weird to think that the words that I wrote down are still there and I don't remember doing them. Yeah, so none of none of us read at my mum's funeral. Um, we literally had the celebrant speak and, and that was it. And it's not really a day I remember that well. All, all I sort of remember from mum's funeral was just driving in and you sort of drive in along this road and then there's quite a steep hill and as we were driving down this hill there was just this sea of faces looking at us and I just thought oh it was just so bizarre like so bizarre and yeah sort of the funeral happened and I I honestly cannot recall it I can't recall recall it at all. Do you remember Um, when it was in, in relation to when she died was it uh, yeah, so I do know when it was. It was on the 3rd of December. So she died on the 20th of November. And oh, wow. Then so it was quite soon after. The 3rd was, yeah, 3rd of December. Yeah, so two weeks later. Was her funeral. And, oh, I haven't even said how she died, like what she died of. She had a heart infection, basically, is what we discovered with myocarditis. Um, but she hadn't been unwell, like... No. She had been fine in the day and she wasn't feeling unwell or anything? No, no, nothing at all. And, you know, I sort of remember my dad sort of racking his brains thinking, you know, was she in pain? Did she, you know, but she, as she sat in the sitting room when he got into bed, there was literally a wall in between them. Mm. And, you know, if she was in any sort of pain or discomfort, she would have gone in and said something to my dad. And the sort of fact that she went in and got undressed and, you know, put her pyjamas on and stuff, it doesn't signify any sort of indication of immediate death. Yeah, even the like the fact that she folded her clothes. Like, mm. I mean, I when I get into bed, 
I certainly, like, 99% of the time just throw my clothes on the floor. So there's something really significant in my mind of, like, actually, like, she was well enough. She, it wasn't like she was feeling so rough that she just clambered into bed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know it, what you mean. It feels, like, it just feels so surreal to imagine that she went from literally probably 30 seconds before folding her clothes and feeling fine and then getting into bed and just stopping, just you know stopping living like that just seems really surreal well I think I explained it to you before as plonking dead which you (laughs) (laughs) which you find quite funny I mean it's not it's not exactly eloquent and I don't think there was actually any plonking involved but it it does it does feel like she just sort of plonked dead yeah it's so Um, sudden that there's there's kind of no appropriate wording for it is there so yeah plonking probably isn't (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just about as appropriate as as the mystery of just dying so suddenly without any explanation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, other memories that I sort of have of around that time was quite soon after I started having quite um, severe nightmares. Mm. And within... A few weeks, like I remember having this really, really, really horrible nightmare about my mum, and we were sat somewhere together. I mean, the fact I can remember this is just stupid. My brain, <laughs> my brain is just filled with so much crap. Um, we were sort of sat on this picnic bench somewhere, and we were just sort of having a normal family outing, chatting, chatting away. And I turned to my mum and said to her, basically, what are you doing here? Like, you're dead. And her face sort of, she went like, (gasps) you know, made like a a surprised face. Mm. And her face sort of went all warped and she sort of like disappeared. Oh, It's just this horrible, haunting image in my head. And... Yeah, I've basically had seven years of nightmares, <laughs> like literal nightmares, which is just horrible. And I think it's a, a common um, subsequence of, you know, losing losing somebody or grieving. It's just yeah. a way of your brain processing, you know, not switching off at night. And yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? I know when. Um... When dad died, I had loads of very vivid dreams of him being very, very, very sick. Because mm. he was, you know, the end of his life, he didn't look like him and he's incredibly frail and incredibly skinny. And and um, I had those dreams where I saw him being really unwell and there's yeah. something... You know, like you say there about your mum, like saying to her, well, what are you doing here? You're dead. And the way that dad was sick in those dreams, I was like, oh, God, does that mean that he's sick wherever he is? Like, is it is there this kind of level of pain that continues after this, after the fact that he's died? And um, I think those type of dreams are really common. And, I, mm. and although they're nowhere near as frequent anymore just last night I had one Mm. and that's the first time in months I've had one where he's been sick and it's been incredibly painful yeah and so I think they do just unfortunately they stay with you because I think like you say it's just your brain's way of understanding what's happened and dealing with the fact 
um, throughout the rest of your life because you never live without it again. You know, you never live without the grief. Interestingly enough, I just want to draw up on something that you've said there about questioning whether you're... Um, whether your dad is in pain or whether, you know, he feels sick now. So our favourite author, Julia Samuel. <laughs> oh, fan girl. If you're listening, Julia, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucy recommended me this absolutely fantastic book called Grief Works by Julia Samuel. And I'm currently still listening to it on, um, on Audible. And I, I sort of listen to it on my walks. And it's just absolutely brilliant so I'd really really recommend listening to it and one of the things that she touches on in the book is that it's really common to if you have been bereaved to have concerns about whether the person you have lost is in pain is you know cold or still sort of has feelings and it's something you know it's stuff like this in the book that she says and I, I go through listening to it and I think oh god you know thank god that's not just me thinking that um yeah I think that book like one of the most one of the best things about it is that it really made me feel like oh my god I'm not on my own when I think mm, like that mm. and I think that's one of the reasons why I love listening to grief podcasts because mm. hearing other people's experiences and having that solidarity, having that shared experience makes you feel less alone. You know, you don't feel yeah. as, as crazy like me talking to Robins along the walks when you know that, <laughs> you know, you talk to people who are doing exactly the same thing or, or having dreams like this or having anxiety or any kind of, um, I know for me, the kind of physical grief, that pain, you know, like the actual fatigue and the aches and the, headaches and, and that mm. kind of thing that I had mm. no idea existed before I listened to podcasts and listened to books and, and actually learned that this is quite common for lots of people. I think for me, um, with this episode, it's going to turn into a book review now, but I just absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love it. And yeah, I really recommend Five it stars. so much. Um, for me, when I was listening to listening to the book, I think sometimes I put my grief, um, because I'm so immersed in the grief world, um, I sort of forget how significant losing both your parents is by the time you're 23. Yeah. <laughs> and li listening to it, it sort of really validated a lot of the things I was feeling. And also it made me sit back and go, OK, you know, that's actually quite a big thing to have gone through at such a young age. And this doesn't just have to be, you know, about parents. It could be any sort of loss endured at a young age is um does have a huge significant impact onto your everyday life for a long time and I think if yeah it's just really validating um it's a really good read it is interesting because having spent the last sort of six months getting to know you um and how how you clearly have been going through this you know going through grief for such a long time and now like you say having lost both your parents at the age of 23 it was like for me that just blows my mind mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons why I love having the opportunity to get to know you and mm -hmm. hear about your parents because there is 
there must be a level of resilience that you have which is so 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 embedded in the person that you've been created to be yeah that you're able to continue with this um and continue you know being a happy you know (laughs) supportive friend and partner and and all of those things it's it's quite remarkable Aww, Lucy, <laughs> you're <Go> so <on>. kind. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make you cry on the pod. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm just sat here getting emotional. I think, yeah, like you're really right. You do have to have a certain resilience about you. But one one sort of thing I get asked or maybe told quite a lot is, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'd have no idea what to do if both my parents died. And it's like, well, funnily enough, like... <laughs> neither did I (laughs) but you you just sort of oh I don't know and one thing that was told to me that really resonated with me and it was really stuck with me is quite often when you're grieving people will tell you to take a day at a time Mm -hmm. and it's too much you know a day at a time is too much of a chunk (laughs) you have to take it hour by hour or even reduce it down to five minutes to five minutes Mm. because it's so exhausting and so tiring and taking a day at a time when you're grieving is absolutely huge and you have to dissect it and break it down and just do what you can manage and I think although all I am sort of happy and definitely you know I am sort of continuing with my life there is a lot of sadness (laughs) there And I've sort of recently come to learn that pain and joy can coexist. And, yeah, you can sort of be absolutely, utterly heartbroken and still be happy at the same time. And I think it's quite hard to get your head around that sometimes, but they definitely can coexist. And you certainly shouldn't feel guilty for feeling happy if you're grieving. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. It's it's really, and I think that it it, it is taking it minute by minute because you just mm. don't know what's mm. going to change. And you know, we'll talk later in later episodes about sort of triggers and things that you don't absolutely. Expect. But they can just come out of the blue. You know, you can have a really normal kind of okay day, and then you know a song might come on in a shop and you'll fall into a ball and you'll need to kind of be in that sadness for a while and I think grief teaches you how to adapt and how to be resilient Mm. and it also makes you more I mean it's definitely made me more accepting of having good days and bad days yeah I used to just try and power on through and I probably didn't talk about the days that were harder Mm. but now I really embrace them you know I really sit in that sadness if I need to have a day off and just be in my grief and just sit with you know the knowledge that my dad died and and have to process that then that then that's just how it is and I usually feel much more powerful after those sorts of days absolutely and you sort of saying about how it can change so quickly um my commute to work used to be an hour car journey and I used to absolutely go through the motions in that one hour. I mean, I would be crying with laughter. I'd be crying with sadness. <laughs> I'd be screaming. You know, I'd be pulling over to deep breathe. And that is how 
how turbulent it is and how fast paced it is you know you're, you're constantly um oscillating between these two emotions well two emotions that's ridiculous there's so many more emotions than grief but what I meant was blanket happiness and blanket sadness yeah yeah it's just it's a whirlwind <laughs> um after the funeral um what did you decide to do with was she buried or was she cremated um so my mum was cremated and it wasn't really a decision that I had much involvement within um and to be honest I think if my dad asked me I would have gone I didn't no, you know, I, I don't know what to do with my mum's I'm, dead body. I'm 17. I did not know any of this was going to happen. I didn't even know that parents died until they exactly. were really old. <laughs> and I had no sort of arrangements with the funeral or anything. So my mum was cremated. And I think this is probably quite unusual. Um, so we did nothing with her ashes. Uh, lots, Pretty much everyone that I've spoken to who's had a cremation holds on to the ashes um oh well so you didn't pick them up we like you never got them? no no never got them we decided that we well the decision was made that mum's uh ashes would be scattered in the crematorium in the rose garden and that would be unwitnessed so none of us took part in that which oh, wow. i know yeah I, I don't know I, I guess I remember she was cremated and dad sort of said to me do you want to do anything with her ashes and I was like well I don't know <laughs> I don't think mm. so to me I didn't I didn't want the ashes I didn't like the idea of you know having that and it was only recently when I was going through paperwork actually that there was almost like a selection you know there was a tick box fun multiple choice <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, it was ticked, unwitnessed, scattered in the rose garden at the crematorium. So I think that's probably quite unusual. Yeah, that's interesting. So my dad was cremated. Um, we have his ashes. My mum, like, was desperate to get them back. Yeah. Um, and, like, I kind of didn't, I don't know, I think at the beginning I was like, I'm definitely going to have a piece of jewellery made mm, and mm. have some of his ashes in it that's mm. that was like when as soon as he died I, that was what I decided that I wanted to do mm. um you've had the funeral mm. you know how how did things change did you remain in that home I know lots of people when they've lost somebody at in at home like then it's difficult obviously you were living away then but did they remain living in that house afterwards? Was there any kind of change that happened because of your mum's death? Dad stayed there then for four years. Okay. And it very much stayed the family home. You know, it was still the family home. And it wasn't until four years later when he sort of sold the house that's the beginning of his journey <laughs> that was the beginning of the end for my dad selling that house it just you know and that is a whole other episode um of, of sort of what went wrong with him uh, the house to me still is my family home I mean mum and dad moved in there in 1996 when I was six months old um so that house will be 
and always will be my family home. Yeah. Um, I sort of go past it now and I, I sort of look at it and just sort of long for those those days of pre death. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just I just long, Yeah, I just long for being this sort of innocent sixteen year old who, you know, just sort of had supper cooked for them every night and mm. had a lovely lovely parents and yeah so I guess yeah I guess seeing the house now is is really difficult I mean I'm, I try to you know it's, it's opposite the park where I walk my puppy but it I still sort of look at it and I just look at it and think gosh so much went on her <laughs> yeah. it just feels like my whole life really it's interesting because my dad died at home uh by choice and at first I didn't know when he first said that he wanted to die at home I was like "Mm, not really sure how I feel about that because Mm. I was like you know I don't I don't live at home but my I was like my mum has to live sleeping in this bed still and Mm. my little brother lives at home and and I didn't know how I'd feel about it but actually like now it feels so precious that he was there and I think it would be really hard to sell that house now and for my mum to move. And I don't think that she, I don't really think that she will. Um, but it, it would be it would be really strange because there's there's part of him that will always be there. I think that's pretty much what broke my dad. Yeah. Like he he sort of said to me he was never going to sell the house and circumstances changed and he did. And it just absolutely destroyed him you know it it absolutely destroyed him for me it sort of was like right that house is going to stay the Williams household yeah. that house is going to be the Williams household and that is what it's always going to be and the Williams chapter has closed thank you for listening to this episode of the grief sofa podcast Please subscribe, rate and review to help us reach new listeners. If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on The Groove Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at The Groove Sofa or email us thegroovesofa at gmail.com.